Scott, I have really been looking forward to this conversation, so uh, thank you for joining me and, and joining all of us. But I'll tell you what, i got to stop for just a second, because we're supposed to have a, uh, a conversation that kind of models how to have a civil conversation on tough topics. And I think I just heard you're a Cub fan. I'm a Cub fan, and um, that's true Christianity. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think we've gone long enough. I think most people know I'm a White Sox fan, and this looks like a pretty good year, so I'm not, I'm not even sure we have anything to talk about at this point. To quote Lady Gaga, we're in the shallows now. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely. Okay. Well, if a, if a White Sox fan and a, and, a, and, a, and a Cub fan can talk, then maybe we can also talk about politics. Yes. Why do you think it is so hard that once you start into a conversation about politics, things seem to quickly go south? Many Americans find their most uh, important issues and passions and desires come to expression in political candidates. And I, I've watched in the last... I think, well, starting with Clinton, uh, there was some with Reagan, there was a sense of victory. But since those days, since the 80s, increasingly evangelical Christians have aligned with a party which has led other Christians to align with another party. And it's become what James Davison Hunter called a culture war. Hmm. But the problem is it has been vested with ultimate interest and ultimate value. So both sides seem incapable of not saying um, our party is the Christian party. And now all of a sudden you've tied it into God and it is, uh, it is ferocious. And the, the bots inside uh, our social media, behind Twitter, et cetera, uh, Facebook, they know what gets us riled up yep. and they keep it riled up. Romans 14 to 15 teaches Christians who are strong and weak, they are called to welcome one another, to eat with one another, and to get along and to make peace. We have the opportunity to make peace in this world between different parties because we have a unity in Christ that transcends political parties. I think that sets us up for where we want to go. Um, maybe unbeknownst to you, you've had a tremendous impact on our church, particularly I'd say maybe over the last four or five years in, uh, in, in your writings. Um, I'm going to give a couple plugs here because one is I'd love for our people to read these. Um, this one right here, the King Jesus Gospel. I don't know, this goes back probably four or five years for you now. But I would encourage everyone, if you could do two things at a time, go to Amazon right now and buy this, particularly the, the forward and the first four chapters, I think really introduce some of the things we've been teaching for good, some time now. Good. I want to go here. It's kind of the foundation for how we talk about uh, politics, how we think about politics, how we uh, act and engage with politics. Because if we can understand that the gospel, and I think the way you phrase it is the gospel is kind of summarized as Jesus is king. And as a king, that's, it's kind of an, uh, an intrinsically political statement. Oh, yes. And is. he has a kingdom of which we're a part. The Bible is a plot, is a narrative, is a story. Uh, the Old Testament is a story in search of a solution, a resolution. I think Tom Wright says this. What was the solution? The solution is Jesus, all right? So we have to learn to read the Bible so that we're looking for Jesus. What was he called? The term that the early church fixated on is that he was Christ. 
Christ is not Jesus' second name. It's not his last name. It's not his family name. This in Greek, Christos, means the anointed one or the king. So if we were to translate Jesus King or King Jesus or Messiah Jesus, we would never have not thought that he was the king. His primary word that he gave to his disciples to think of what he was doing is the word kingdom. The word kingdom can be translated empire. Now just think that Jesus has said, I am the emperor of a new empire. Jesus is inherently the king. The gospel is the declaration that the long-awaited empire of God with the new emperor has arrived in Jesus, and he's calling people into a new empire. There's a lot of people who would probably say, you know what, this makes for an interesting conversation, but politics really doesn't have any place in church. And candidly, I, there, I think there would have been a time when I would have, I don't know if I would have said that out loud, but I probably would have thought it anyway. Based on what you yeah. just said, what would you say to those folks going like, eh. Well, I understand why you say this, um, but I, I would say, I would flip it and say everything about Jesus, everything about the church is politics. Politics is about how to govern people. And Jesus is governing a new people in a new way, redeeming them, guiding them as their king into a new law to follow his teachings, to live in the spirit, and to live in a new world. Everywhere these Christians, these churches, everywhere they gather together, they become an empire of God in this world designed to witness to this new king so that this kingdom can begin to make impact in the world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's calling people into his kingdom that is not of this world, and we are declaring him as Lord, and it becomes immediately a challenge to all political parties to take second place in our life underneath King Jesus. One of the things that helped me kind of work through this too was making a distinction and see if you would be on the same page between um, kind of politics as the same as a political party or partisanship. Yeah. And I do want to stay, I think, away from partisanship, but I, I, I'm increasingly going like, but I don't want to stay away from things political because like you said, and I think I even read it in one of your articles, when you talk about politics, you're talking about, okay, how do we live together in a way that allows our communities to flourish? How do we deal with money? How do we deal with uh, our enemies? How do we deal with social structures? Those are, those are all things that are political things. The challenge, this is one of the things I loved about King Jesus Gospel and the things that we're learning from you, is that we're really challenging everybody to make a paradigm shift in our allegiance that it's Jesus is first and foremost my king, and I'm a part of his kingdom. Now, if we keep with that same metaphor, you could say, well, what's his platform? Mm -hmm. What's Jesus' platform? Or maybe another way to say it is his vision for his kingdom community. Jesus does have a platform. And I think in the partisanship, I think you're right, is that when we become fixated on a party, we exclude half of America. That's not the way of Jesus. 
But when we fixate on the politics of Jesus, we want to welcome everybody to the table. Um, I would say the first order in Jesus's political platform is found when a scribe comes to Jesus and says, of all the commandments, which one's the greatest? And Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. He adds to this from Leviticus chapter 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds um, an interpretive line. There is no commandment greater than these. Matthew summarizes it with these words. All the commandments, 613 of them, hang from these two, loving God and loving others. So I believe the politics of Jesus begins when we realize that we are to love God and love others. And that means to follow Jesus as, in that sense, as our lawmaker. He creates the constitution for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we live like that, loving God and loving others with every globule of our being, we will transcend politics and be far more penetrating in our politics than partisanship can ever be. And I believe that a, a lot of people today are sick and tired of the partisanship and they open up their Facebook or their Twitter or wherever, and it's just war. And they think, we want peace. I believe the church has an opportunity to be words of peace in times of culture war. So, I mean, a good exercise for any of us right now would be that, okay, let's think about all the things that are on different political agendas we're trying to make our minds up about. And so just how do you, how do you view those things through, okay, do those things help me and allow me and allow us to love others? You know, some people, if, you, if, the, if they heard the current president or the previous president or any president say that the moon is green, they would get mad about it. And some people would agree. That's a partisan ideology. We ask the question, what color is the moon to Jesus? That's the question we're asking. We're asking, how would he want me to think about immigration? How would he want me to think about gun violence? How would he want me to think about racism? That's the question we should be asking, not what does our political party. We might line up sometimes with one and another because we're following Jesus. All right, I'll tell you what, in that case, let's, let's just kind of go there. Let's, let's push the envelope a little bit. I would love for you, um, give me an example of where you believe, and we'll start by picking on the Republicans, um, where the Republican political platform would be in conflict with Jesus, King Jesus' kingdom vision? Let's say war. The Republican Party is stronger with military. Uh, President Reagan believed in peace through strength. Jesus believed in peace through serving one another. How do we act in times of war as Christians? When we decided to go to war with Iraq, there was insufficient Christian discussion about what should we as Christians do. We're asking the question, what should we as Americans do? That's a secondary question to what would Jesus do here? When Jesus talks about money, when Paul talks about money, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 to 14, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, this is an amazing statement. I don't know what to do with it at times. And he said, 
your excess can be used for the Jerusalem poor so there might be equality. This sounds like a radical statement that we are responsible to help the poor in this world, but especially the poor in the church. I don't hear that very often from Republicans. Okay, we need about like five hours here. Because I mean, like on the one hand, we'll go back to your comment about Reagan, right? Yes. So like, isn't it possible also that you can serve while being strong? This is a question about how should Christians engage in military conflict and in war. I don't want to get you in trouble or your church, but I am a pacifist. And I think that Christians want to find alternative methods other than killing people. I look at every human being as made in the image of God. And I believe that if I kill someone, I've just made a choice. I've made a choice to kill a brother in Christ for the sake of Caesar, or to kill someone who needs to hear the gospel for the sake of Caesar. I can't believe that's ever right. I respect the American military. My father was in the military. So I, I respect that there will be Christians who will make a different choice there. But I think we should be asking the question about Jesus. I'm not sure if I, because I need to do more work, whether I disagree or agree with you. But I think the thing that you're challenging me with, and I think all of us with, is you've come to that place personally because Jesus was king and you're part of his kingdom. So let's talk about the Democrats. Yeah. What things do you see there that go like, you know what, that doesn't line up with Jesus' platform? I'm, I'm against abortion. I think that we do not want to be killing children in the womb. I believe that the lackadaisical, murderous attitude at times is so inconsistent with Jesus. I like their concern for the poor. I think at times they don't see the impact of their um, economic policies for struggling small businesses. I want to encourage businesses to build their platform. This is how American economy works. I, I think the Democratic Party... No, I'll tell you what, before you take on the next, let me go back one. Okay, so you're against abortion. So you're not pro-women? I'm pro-women, but I don't believe that pro-choice, anybody has the right to take the life of another. I would say that from the moment of conception, there is a life that is being formed by God that we have no right to take. And I'm, I'm kind of pushing your button a little because I don't know if I know any other scholars that have been as pro-women leadership as you. But again, I guess, here's, here's the thing that, that I'm, I'm interested in, and I hope everybody's picking this up too, is you're not taking a Republican or Democratic stance on any of these things, and I'm not even suggesting you take Scott's stance, but what I am suggesting that all of us do, and I, I love this about what I'm hearing and learning from you, is you came to both of those positions that, yeah, I am pro for women, women equality, but at the same time, I'm also against abortion. But I came to those things because Jesus is king, and I'm a part of his kingdom, not because I'm Democrat or Republican. That's right. I'm not, uh, I'm not politically aligned with a party. And um, I, I think that in the current cult culture war situation, Christians have to think very carefully about how 
tied their reputation is to a party. I think we need more Christians who have such discernment that they become dissident about political issues and trusting Washington, D.C., and say, I trust Jesus, and I have suspicions about political parties and politics because I think they've got an agenda. They want power. We want to divest ourselves of power so that Jesus has the power, and he'll empower us to live the way we're called to. I want to be influential in society. I want to make an impact and do what I can to do what would be right for Jesus. I want to stand for justice. I want to fight for peace. I want to resist injustice and systemic violences. I want to fight for those things, but I want to do it as a Christian, as following Jesus, not as someone aligned with a party, and then fighting like crazy and turning people of the other party into my enemy. They're not my enemy. They're my fellow Americans. I've, I've met many pre, uh, Americans in the last 10 years who, when, a president was, when President Obama was elected, when President Trump was elected, when President Biden were elected, he's not my president. I thought to myself, oh, yes, he is. We only got one in the United States, and it lasts for four years. That's, that's our president. He's not our king. How would you encourage people to engage politically? I think I would encourage people to become engaged as Christians in the best way their gifts can be engaged. Now, a lot of people think church is away from politics, that, it, that that's what is sort of sequestered from the political process. I believe the opposite is occurring, is when we're involved in the church, we are actually the most politically engaged people in the United States because we are politicking for Jesus, yeah. witnessing to his redemption and to the transformation he can make. And we are embodying, we're trying to embody a reconciled community where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. We witness to this. African Americans, Latin Americans, Asian Americans, people of different economic, educational status can come together and say, we declare to the world that Jesus is the Lord. That's politics. Yes, right. Not partisanship, not political yes. parties, but politics. Yes. Two more things, then we'll, we'll wrap up here. Okay. One, if you could, I would love for you just, we have all of our locations, uh, community online, our 3C communities, and um, our community freedom locations and prisons listening. And um, just take a minute or two, and with this big idea, again, of Jesus is king, and he has a kingdom that we're a part of, how would, how would you kind of just challenge them going forward? I would encourage uh, you um, to think about your life, to see what riles up your passions the most. To ask yourself again and again, is the political process what gets me most irritated? Is the election season driving my social media? Is it driving my conversations? Or am I asking the question, uh, is Jesus my Lord? And how do I live in the United States as a follower of Jesus? How do I enter kingdom realities? How do I witness to Jesus as the king in everything that I say and do? In my business, in my home, in my neighborhood. I think a lot of us have some very serious rethinking to do and some repentance that we have fallen 
for the media's game and it's controlling our conversation that we spend so much time talking about politics and we've lost our opportunity to talk about Jesus, to witness to his grace, to his saving power. And we need to call ourselves back to gospel realities and to the significance of the church in the world today. Thanks, Scott. And uh, sincerely, thank you very much yes, for yes. Not, not just this conversation, yeah. but for ways that I, I'm sure you just couldn't know because you're not around here, the way that you've influenced myself, our teaching team, and Community Christian Church um, through your scholarship, through your writing. So those hours when you're at the desk, they're trying to crank things out. Uh, I want you to know um, it is having an impact, and we're really, we're really, we're really, really grateful for you. And, and I want to say how grateful I am for uh, the community, the churches that you're working with, uh, because I've been involved enough with people in this church to be confident that you're striving to follow Jesus no matter what that costs you. And that's, that's what it's all about for all of us. Thank you. Thanks. That's, that's, that's as high a compliment you can pay. So thank you very much. Would you say a prayer for, for community and the, and the folks all listening? In? Father, uh, you love us all. You are the God of all of us. You have a redeemed community that draws from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we want to be a part of that community and to see that as the fundamental community of our life. We want Jesus to be the Lord. We want Jesus to be our King. And we want to be his citizens and servants in his kingdom. May you give us this grace through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.